Oh, it's true. Change is something that involves risk. You don't hear so much about the risk, right? Because everybody's attracted to the idea of becoming that innovator. They want to be the Elon Musk. That's kind of sexy and cool, right? On this live event right now, we are going to tell you a bit about handling some of the risk involved in your career. Welcome to our Wednesday live event, Innovation in Audio. My name is Lloyd Ford with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. We don't believe in something called phantom cum. We don't believe that ratings are real. Here's what we do believe. We do believe in behaviors causing consequences, and we can show you how the right behaviors produce consistent ratings and revenue growth. You can talk to us about our music lab, which prevents music drift, or you can share uh, uh, information about our morning show, Fame Development Coaching, which you will love. It puts the accent and the action in the right places to build opportunity for robust ratings growth, and you know that leads to revenue. Clients also like our branding candy. You can ask us about encouragement too. It's one of our services. If you know somebody who's looking for fresh answers and a new path to success, we'd love to help. Reach out anytime, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. This live event is part of a podcast series called The Encouragers Innovation in Audio Podcast and will become available within about an hour of the end of this live event, wherever you get your podcast. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. Today, we are going to have a great visit. I promise you, Wednesday, October 6, 2021, Amy Davies is with us. She's the CEO of First 30 Toronto. I know, you're thinking, Man, what's first 30? I need to know about that. You're going to get all the details very shortly. Also, Ebony Thunderberg will be with us. And we actually, I'm actually scrolling down and looking for her to show up anytime. He's here. We just need to bring her up. Oh, yeah. I'm going to bring her I'm going to bring her up right now. And so we're going to have her on this event too. She is with EFG Promotions Group. You're going to get to find out all about that. Before we get started right? Before we get started with our guest, I always like to give a quick preview to what's coming next week on Innovation in Audio. So here we go. So next week, which of course is Wednesday, October the 13th, Skip Dillard will not be co-hosting that event on October 13th. We're very fortunate to have Corey Dillon from 100.7 Big FM in San Diego for the October 13th event. Who's going to be with us as guests? Well, Patrick Bangert is going to be with us. He's the VP of Artificial Intelligence at Samsung SDS in San Jose, California. And along for the ride, oh yeah, uh, Chasta Lynn McKellis, I hope I'm saying that right, the PD of Cumulus, K-S-A-N 107.7, The Bone in San Francisco. I'm going to get a good tutorial on how to say that name right before next week. See our full upcoming guest calendar in our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com at any time, 24-7. Of course, you'll also find 
free encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series and for local sellers. Oh yeah, we've got more encouragement for you too with our encouraging sales success series, as well as free resources for anyone in the radio or audio business today. We don't lock away anything on our website the way some consultants do. That's because we believe in what we call the theory of abundance. You call me, you can ask me about it. Go to rainmakerpathway.com anytime and see what you can get for free from our team. Okay, let's get started. Let's talk to today's guest right now. We talk a lot about how hard, difficult, and challenging innovation is. It involves risk. Everybody knows it. And of course, often it involves fast decision-making. It also involves heartbreak and the consistent, inconsistent challenges of dealing with people and sudden career changes. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, especially if you're in the radio business. That's where our next guest comes in to focus. And we want to talk to this person about her area of expertise. Amy Davies is a specialist. And I think having her on innovation and audio offers an interesting perspective on doing change well. She spent much more than a season focused on consumer and market insights, research, strategic planning, and the the readiness of people movement. Wow, what is that? Hmm. So here's what she does. Amy is essentially revolutionizing onboarding and outplacement experiences for the hybrid workforce. That should get your attention because we're about to talk about how to deal with the turbulence in your career and how you can take charge of your working life. That sounds so 2020s, doesn't it? I mean, we've all seen the changes in the workforce and and especially where work happens. We know that that's fluid now. Amy Davies is with First 30, and she's our guest now. Amy, welcome to Innovation and Audio. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me in that great introduction. I am really thrilled because you and I have had a couple of preliminary conversations. I know what an expert you are. You are somebody who is interested in the motivation behind people's actions. You You've kind of always been interested in people and and what motivates them in and around at work environments. How did you get started in this field? (laughs) Well, you know, if you speak to my parents, my nickname as a child was Constable Amy. (laughs) So you could say I was always very nosy and interested in what people are doing. Uh, And justice for all. That was a, a very big theme for me growing up. Uh, but then when I entered the, you know, I studied sociology in university. So oh, yeah. studying, you know, the scientific study of society. So watching how people behaved, how we behave in groups really interested me. And I feel like when I was in the workforce, when I was, you know, in in corporate environments, I was sort of one of those people that could be count, relied upon to keep confidence. And I tried to make people feel comfortable, you know, talking to me. So I heard a lot. I got, you know, when companies would go through restructuring again and again, people would come talk to me about their experience and their concerns. And so I had this really kind of view that I I guess not a lot of people get. And uh, that's, you know, I've just always been interested in people. My entire career was spent. you know, uh, helping, trying to help people navigate their career. Well, now, 
Now, see, I don't call that being nosy. I like to call that <laughs> curiosity because I'm a curious yes. person too. And I think when somebody has curiosity, I think of that as a positive thing. We look, when it comes to change, you know, humans don't exactly love change unless they're the one doing it. Yeah. Uh, we, we always think it's scary when you hear outplacement services. It means that you're getting a visit from the unemployment monster. Now, how do you make that a process that's actually better for people? Well, the first thing I do is I listen to them, right? So they're brought to me. And then the first time I meet with them, you don't know what you're going to get, right? Because some people are absolutely devastated. Uh, and, you know, there's emotional moments. And then some people are totally ready to move on and just want to get going. Um, so the very first thing I do is listen. And the other thing is treating people like individuals and like they're mm. not part of some formula that you have. Because every single person approaches their career differently. Some people, the day they get let go, they'll have interviews lined up and they just want to keep moving. So I don't like when, when um, outplacement suppliers have this very formulaic approach. Um, because right. I don't think that that helps people when they're going through this type of change, which can be very emotional for them. Well, and there's already kind of a formula feel to it anyway. So it's kind of good that you're doing that. You know, we're the encouragers here on Clubhouse and we like to encourage people, period. That's our whole game right here. We're here to encourage people to draw people together and go, okay, where's the positive path here? We know that change can be scary, but but it always brings with it opportunity. I always like to highlight that for people. Can you tell us why you wrote the book, A Spark in the Dark, illuminating your path to a brilliant career in a reorg world? Yeah, I wrote the book because it was the book I would have wanted when I was kind of going through different times in my career. Uh, I don't feel like we really have the answers we need when it comes to today's working world, right? Like so many of us are changing and leaving jobs within two to three years and we could have oh, 15 yeah. different jobs over the course of our career. So I do think that um, it's just really nice to have that guide who can help you understand how to take command of your own career. What you were talking about is we don't like to lose control, right? Yes, and right. So, perceived control, because nobody's really in control. Exactly. And hasn't right. this pandemic really demonstrated mm -hmm. that to us, right? But True. we, it really does affect our well-being. So I talk, I, I'm sure you're a music fan. Mm -hmm. um, Russia's Neil Peart talked about be your own hero. And I talk a lot about that. Be your own hero because oh, we uh, line up well, you and I, because yes, I, do do. Think, <laughs> I do think that in 2021, you have to take control of your own career and you have to be your own captain, right? For absolutely. There's no doubt. And, and the other thing that I love about that line is you yeah. have to look in the mirror and be the person that, you know, you admire um, because it's just so hard to spend your lifetime looking at others. And when we're on social networks and we see oh. all these amazing things people are claiming to do, yep. we're only putting our best foot forward there for the most part. It just becomes mm. so hard to be so happy and confident and feel good about yourself. So that's how I try to encourage people. You're all about encouragement, which I love. I try to encourage people to take that step. 
Absolutely. And look, everybody's doing impression management. I, will, I, I wish there was somebody to sit on people's shoulders when they're looking at Instagram or Facebook or, or whatever social media you're looking at and go, hey, this is impression management. That's not real. Don't, don't take it as real. Do you think the changes that we've seen accelerate with COVID-19 will continue to be a powerful force in how and where people work and how nimble employers are in what they expect of all of us? That is such an interesting question. It's really hard to tell because I think that what's going to happen is you're going to have those traditional employers that, for instance, want bums and seats, right? That's right. We've <laughs> seen that in the broadcast business. It's true. Oh, it's Some people want you to crazy. come back. Yeah, and companies talk about wanting the creativity to happen. But my argument there is, what creativity are you going to get? What, you're not getting the top creativity because you can't attract the top talent when you're not nimble. So my hope is that companies will start being more nimble for sure. I think people, the thing is about professionals is we're going to really change our view of what is possible, what we can achieve. Uh, a lot more side hustles will be starting. I think we're going to have more of a fractional work environment. And when by fractional work, I mean a lot more contract type work where people will be their own um, well, people will be their own boss, but I think what that's going to take, especially your side of the border, is a mm -hmm. change in how we can uh, acquire medical benefits. Yeah, and just to say this for a second, just in case you don't know this, Amy is in Toronto, which is located in that other country we call Canada. And I'm in the United States. That's what she meant there. <laughs> yes. Uh, sorry, I should have confirmed that. I have lots of clients uh, in the U.S. Mm. And um, what I find is when I get on a call with them, the first thing they talk about is needing benefits. In Canada, we do have a lot of coverage by, uh, covered right. by the government and our taxes. So that means that we have more flexibility to do what I'm doing and start a business. It's, I mean, you could argue it either way, but it's one benefit to yes. um, having that sort of system because it frees people to, to really kind of be able to be more in command of, of their own outcome. All but right, I would so love to see a change in how medical benefits are distributed so that small businesses can more easily access what they need to be independent. So here's something that was recently said about you during the pandemic. Quote, Amy has an infectious energy that comes through the computer screen and gets you feeling inspired. She has a gift for taking the intimidation factor out of things like networking, layoffs, career advancement, helping people thrive where they are. It has been a pleasure to work with and learn from Amy, unquote. How do you put people at ease about seeing their future and being productive, especially after, let's be honest, a, a layoff or downsizing or whatever the latest term might be? Well, for one thing, um, thank you for bringing up that quote. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's always nice good to hear people, that. Right. It's good when people talk good yeah, about you, right? You may make me feel really good. Um, but here's the thing. I am a success story of being downsized uh, more than once. So that is one way I think that I, I can relate to the people going through the, you know, the same thing. I, I've gone through the same thing as people in my program. And I tried to, you know, it changed me forever. It changed my outcome. And I think in many ways for the better. So, and I, the other thing is because I've been there, 
I don't, I'm very, very conscious that you have to speak to people on the same level. You know, I find that I go to so many of these, some talks and I feel like I'm being talked at and kind of patronized and talked down to. Mm. And I really do not think that that is a good way to um, treat your audience, right? I'm right. I'm with everybody who's in this program. I just have done this before. I've been through this a couple of times before, so I know how to help. And, uh, and I well, enjoy well, listen, it. Also, when people are going through downsizing, I mean, look, their confidence might be shook. Their confidence probably is shaken, right? And so they're, they're vulnerable. It's, it's a time to meet them where they are, not where you want them to be a one size fits all, right, Amy? Yes, exactly. Um, I, I want to say to anybody who's listening that if you've been in that situation, I can tell you so many times, I find that people are so much better off, you know, within a year of this all happening. I remember working in corporate and taking a woman down who had been let go and she was crying and we had boxes in her hands and I put her in a taxi. Mm. A month later, she had another job at a more senior level closer to her house and she's been there for ages and she couldn't have been happier. And I see this pattern repeated time and time again. And the other thing I wanna say to people, when these things happen, especially now, it is not personal. Like it's really right. not personal. And the more, the more quickly we can get over that, the better it will be for our future. Well, and I got something that you can add to that. This is what I tell friends of mine and people. I have a lot of, of, uh, of empathy for people going through these situations because I've been in the broadcast field for a long time and we've seen lots of consolidation. I always tell people, listen, listen to what I'm saying right now. Good times don't last. Do you know what that means? That means bad times don't last. So if you think about it that way, it's logical that you would understand that, okay, this is everybody takes their turn in the barrel and you're going to get through this and you're going to be fine. Listen, so, you know, I, sometimes I get to talk to CEOs on this particular live event, Innovation and Audio, and you're the CEO of First 30. I, you know, I've learned that you have some top interview tips. Now, we may not all be looking for a job right now, but can you give us a few of those tips? Yeah, for sure. So one of them is um, learn how to be a great listener. Uh, my husband, believe it or not, is an amazing listener. <laughs> he taught me a lot about the power of listening. And I think when we go to job interviews, our first instinct is to talk and talk and talk and talk and answer the questions as quickly as we can and get as much out as possible. And I think we don't spend enough time because we're nervous, um, really listening and, and taking things in and pausing for a moment before we answer a question. The other thing I would say is it's a lot about of being a great interviewee is your preparation. And I talk about, and I have in, in the program, we have uh, an exercise called storytelling your way to interview success. And that re it requires writing out your entire career story with a pen and paper. And then you only have to do that once. And then the night before kind of refreshing your memory with those stories, because that will help your recall. It will help with your nervousness. Uh, and it will definitely help you stand out because as we know, you and I were talking about books we love are cognitively, we love stories. We and do. So you, we're hardwired yes. for stories, right? 
That's right. And when you prepare this way, you're going to come to the interview and stand out because you're going to tell your interviewer stories rather than talk from the bullet point approach, which I don't think is nearly as effective. Well, it's just kind of um, uh, clinical and doesn't make an impression. So, so you already brought up one of my favorite things, which I'm a big proponent, especially in the business of broadcast or audio, of telling a story. We tell stories. Telling your story is so important, whether you are looking for a job, whether you're a broadcast brand, you're working on a broadcast brand or a cluster, uh, your, your sales they tell a story. Are we all in sales, Amy? In other words, is that what a job search is? Is it sales? How do you stand out in a sea of job hunters? Is it sales? Well, sorry, I'm making sure you can hear me because I noticed that my, my connection is not okay. Good. Um, I'm good. Well, yeah. So what I would say is sales has changed. Um, and, and really, it's about be, having a quality product and then getting out there with the right content, right? So that's, that's very right. different than door knocking, right? Um, and I mm -hmm. think that if you look at sales in, the, in a modern way, definitely we should all see ourselves as salespeople, um, as long as we understand that the game has kind of changed and it does come down to the quality of who you are and then how you communicate that in all touch points, whether it's social media, whether it's in person, um, whether it's how you show up with your friends and family. So yes, I think we are kind of selling ourselves every day, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I think it can be good. And I think you mentioned something very important there, that you're not only telling your story when you're sitting in front of someone giving an interview and you're interviewing them. I'm sure you would say that as well. But but what you do in social media, what you do on the internet, that is reflective of your story, correct? It definitely is. And I always encourage people to think of what their purpose is in life and what those three identifiers are. Like, what do they want people saying about them when they leave the room or they leave their employer and making sure that you are that person in every single interaction so that you are one consistent person and that will make you feel better. But it has to be sincere to who you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because people can tell, right? People oh, will... yes. People will see you if, if you're trying to fake it. And you know, you will the, feel good about it. That's right. And the one thing you don't want is for you to leave the room and then go, oh, you know what? She was so great. But did you see her Facebook? Oh, my God. So you don't want that, right? Totally. And I, I don't think enough, especially young people, really think about what these uh, what what their social media profile says about them. That's right. So listen, let's talk about that kind of stuff. But as it relates to you specifically, was it difficult for you to do so much virtual content? I, I'm surprised by how much you make available to people. You're kind of like us at Rainmaker Pathway. You're like, we don't lock stuff away. We, we're we giving you things that can help you in your life. We're, uh, you know, at first 30, were you an early adapter to doing all this via the web? So the uh, program that I built originally was meant to be almost purely virtual. I've changed. I haven't changed any of that. It's still virtual. Um, mm -hmm. So that in that respect, yes. But I had never done like a virtual presentation before. <laughs> so when this started, I'll tell oh, yeah. you, 
The very first time I was so nervous because you're talking to a, a computer, right? Like right yeah. now you and I are kind of looking at our phone and we're talking to our phone and that takes a bit of getting used to. Um, so the first time I, I did that, I was so nervous, but now I find that it just comes very naturally and I'm really comfortable. Um, but it was terrifying for me at first. I didn't even know how to set up a, a webinar. I didn't have a zoom account, of course. Right. Right. So I had to learn everything and that can be really nerve wracking. All right, let's talk about this. How do employers encourage job searchers and draw them to their business today in today's busy world? Because you already mentioned it. If you're not nimble, if you're not willing to meet employees where they are, you're not going to get the best talent, right? How do you encourage these people? Well, one of the things that I realized, and I just gave a talk about this, and I was talking about allowing employees to work remotely, but then there's some watchouts because if you give people choice, you'll find that it's very often that women and minorities will be the ones that work from home. And then that means when promotions come up that, you know, this is an underrepresented group at senior levels and, and that's going to have a bigger influence. So you have to build in safeguards. But what I realized after this presentation, I thought more and more about it. And I think what employers need to offer is autonomy. People don't like to be micromanaged. We know mm. this. Um, so just talking to people, there's a book I recommend called The Catalyst about how to change anyone's mind. You talk about being like, you know, are we always salespeople? But I yes. think what companies need to do is think about how do they change and then how do they influence and support change? And part of that is changing people's minds, which is very, very difficult to do. Um, we can't get into it now, but I talk a lot about imprinting and how we build belief systems. And once those belief systems are established, how difficult they are to change. So I think exactly companies right. need to do a lot of work. But again, it's about meeting your clients and people where they are. It's not dragging them over to where you are because you can't, you know, you have to be persuasive and make the case. Well, and we talk about this a lot on innovation and audio. It's one of our main principles. People, you know, people like to say, well, people don't like change. People don't like change. Really? You know what? A lot of people on Clubhouse have an iPhone. And those that don't have iPhone, they have some other kind of smartphone device. And they're all kind of similar, right? How fast did it take for people on this planet to adapt a personality to their smartphone? Very rapid. So people don't dislike change. They dislike when change is forced upon them. And that's what you're talking about. Now, I don't know about imprinting. I, I'm i tempted. So I'm going to ask you if you could if you could just say what that word means to you. Sure. So what it means is we have when we first interact with a person or a company or a restaurant, um, we kind of have this uh, a blueprint is formed on our brain. We can look at it that way. And yes. that blue from that blueprint, we kind of build what's called a belief system. And once established, a belief system can be very difficult to change. So you're not going to change someone's mind about um, what they believe. So we're seeing that a lot with I'm, I'm not saying good or bad, but with right. vaccinations. And I actually talk about vaccinations as an example in the book. If you tell people vaccinations are safe that don't believe that and have built a belief system, you're Guess not what? going to change their mind. <laughs> yeah. But if you say to them, here are the consequences of not getting vaccinated, 
Um, we still believe you. We still believe your fears are justified or your your uh, hesitation. But here are some examples of what might happen to you if you don't get this vaccination. So you're not oh, yeah. you're not fighting against an established belief system. You're building a new, more powerful and maybe more scary belief system. Yeah, and I just want to say uh, this is probably an aside that maybe not is even is not even appropriate here, but. The 20th century was so much more fun and seemed so less participatory with disaster. I'm just going to say that. So, listen, you are talking a progressive's game here, especially when you talk about things like imprinting and you're talking about the psychology of change. You consider yourself to be a progressive in helping people find a job today. What does that mean to you? Well, I think that it means being very open minded about how we approach these things. Um, I think that it means considering different options. Like one thing that I find is so many people will say to me, I want a permanent full time position with all the benefits and whatnot. And I totally get why people say that. But what I tell them is there is no such thing as a permanent position anymore. Even if you sign a document that you get signed on as a permanent employee, please treat that job as temporary. Because if you don't treat it as temporary, and for instance, your salary went up and you buy a house and a great new car based on this new salary, that job could go away tomorrow. And then you're stuck with all these really, you know, excessive expenses for that where you are once you lose your job, right? So that's one of the things that I, I hope I've answered your question, but that's kind of how I talk to people about how they approach their career. Nothing is permanent. And I think that that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. You are not in control. No one is in control. Like if you get downsized at work, guess what? They're not in control either. You know, many of the folks who join us on Clubhouse or listen to our podcast are involved in audio. There is so much change in audio, in social, in media of all kinds. What tips do you have to help anyone listening embrace the speed of the future and taking control of their working future right now so that they don't feel like somebody else is in control of whatever happens to them. I'm glad you asked that question because I wanted to jump mm-hmm. in after <laughs> you said Oh, yeah, right? It. Um, but oh, here's the thing. What you said is right, and this kind of answers your question, in that we don't have control. There is a pandemic. We don't have control over what happens, right? right? But you do have control of your mindset. And you do have control of being prepared. And by that, I always tell people, always be reorg ready. And by reorg ready, I mean, keep your network going. Even if you have a great job, keep your network Mm -hmm. alive. Keep your resume up to date so that it's not this huge task. If you get let go, you have to reach out to all these people you haven't spoken to for 10 years or five years or whatever it is. You have to start from scratch on a document that is very difficult for most people to write. Um, so always be reorg ready and always have the mindset that change could happen at any time. And you need to be prepared for that, no matter how comfortable things feel. I always think my dog does it best. My dog, if I stop petting my dog, he doesn't get sullen and back up for me. He just kind of prances off to go find my wife so that my wife can pet. He doesn't care. He's like, Hey, if you're not going to pet me, somebody else will. Can, uh, This is your bonus question. Now, this one should be the easiest of all questions. You ready? I'm ready. You feel you feel ready, right? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Can you share with those of us who have not been to Toronto 
what is so great about that city? I, I personally, I hear nothing but great things and would love to hear more, uh, somebody's perspective who lives there. Sure. So one thing, it, I lived in England for a long time in London, England, and I came back. So I saw the city with fresh eyes in the same way that someone who was traveling here would. It's a very friendly city. People are very, you know, warm. Um, and the other thing is we have great restaurants and it's a very, Ooh. very clean city. And the best part is it's an incredibly safe city, which I always appreciate. Um, and it's, I know it's so important to us, to feel, to anyone, to feel safe where they travel. I know. Clean, lots of restaurants. It sounds like a really fun place to come visit. You must be on the tourist board there somehow. <laughs> I'm trying, but listen, <laughs> if you come to Toronto, you make sure to let me know. All right. That's good to know. Well, listen, thank you, Amy, for joining us on Innovation and Audio. I hope you'll stick around in case some of our listeners might have some questions for you after our second interview. Does that sound okay? Sure. Of course I will. All right. If you haven't subscribed to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast, uh, what are you waiting on? You know, you're already missing out on great content every single week, and we already have a growing archive of shows for you. You won't believe what you'll hear that will improve the value of your career and give you what Amy was talking about, a little bit more of a feeling of control. While you are listening to this live event, make certain that you have joined the encouragers here on the Clubhouse app and share what we're doing with friends in radio and audio and people who love innovation. Okay, follow the people on the stage tonight. Look around the room for others that you can connect with. A big part of encouraging you and your audio career is helping you engage in networking. Just like Amy said, it's not for when you lose your job. It's for all the time. It's for all the time building that network. Find out what our guests talk about every single week, including hacks to make your career better and certainly more innovative by subscribing to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast. Of course, uh, we want you to meet us here, learn and meet the challenges of your career in the 21st century. Uh, our podcasts are a great, great way to connect if you can't connect to this live event. Of course, we do have two podcasts, so you don't miss a thing. The Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast and the Encouragers, the Radio Rally Podcast are both on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Skip Dillard is from WBLS and Hot 97 in New York City. He's my co-host this week and, of course, every week. And and the theme of this event, well, it was his idea. Skip, how are you? I'm doing good, Lloyd and, and, and Amy. I tell you, um, Toronto's one of my very favorite cities. I always said if I could figure out how to pay taxes between the U.S. and Canada, I would definitely come to work in Toronto and just live there. It's a wonderful place. When I programmed in Buffalo, it kept me sane. I think I was in Toronto every single weekend, and we had hotel trade, so that was uh that was my spot. <laughs> it, of course, it, you've been over to Toronto <laughs> a million times, and and love love it, and overdue for a trip back now that they're opening the borders again. Oh, Ebony, right. how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well, Skip, and thanks for having me on. I tell you the uh, what I just heard with Amy. I, there were so many nuggets in there that I pulled out. Was like, oh, I've got to apply this to myself. How about that? Oh man, and Ebony's been like you know she she we keep each other sane. She is probably yes. 
one who spends more time talking to everyone from record execs to radio programmers and music directors. And, and whenever I want to get a gauge on what's going on in the industry, I, I, I grab her on the phone and, and always enjoy our conversations. Want to bring a few of them to the forefront tonight. And, um, you know, Ebony, you've been, you know, a true student of the music industry and continue to shape the gospel as well as uh, secular industry with campaigns that take advantage of both social media and the streaming world that we are continuing to understand. Tell me a bit about EFG, your company, and, and your career path leading up to EFG promotions. Right. Well, I started out, as many have, uh, in the music industry as an intern <laughs> um, <laughs> and ended up working my way up through the ranks. Um, you know, had a great work ethic, um, which I think I wanted to throw that out there because just to the fact of generational divide, at sometimes people feel like the younger generations um, don't have the same kind of work level of work ethic. And it is harder to move up through the ranks today, I believe, but there's so many other opportunities to really get your feet wet in music. Um, I started working at a record label, actually the top record label in gospel music, um, Verity Records at the time, um, and then just worked my way over to EMI Gospel, back to Verity, which became um, a whole nother entity and um, ended up going back to EMI Gospel, which turned to Motown Gospel, you know, just kind of ping pong. And uh, in, in 2007, decided it was time for me to branch out on my own. I started EFG Promotions and Consulting. And basically what I do is at the time, it was not the trend. Today, it is the trend. I'm, uh, I'm hired in by labels, by indie artists, to work on the branding, marketing, and radio promotion side. A lot of radio promotions, um, a lot of, uh, in the past, those segments of the labels were in-house. Now you're finding today a lot of labels are really outsourcing um, that part of their uh, company to indie um, contractors like myself. So I, I actually kind of got in a little ahead of the game and I've been doing it ever since and love what I do. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Ebony, I've always wanted to ask, and, and this is uh, kind of a mystery because, you know, when you, you've dealt with everybody from Kirk Franklin to Snoop Dogg, and, you know, when these artists come to the station, they're very, you know, very buttoned up, very, uh, you know, willing to, you know, they're just, they're just nice, they're cool. But how do artists today view radio? from from you know from from conversations you've had when they're not in the station and they're you know they're they're away from the program directors the jocks you know ironically um the the view of radio has changed slightly with streaming you know streaming came mm -hmm. into picture and um i think there was for a time a hard a moment a hard time trying to connect the dots between radio and sales. And the reason why I say that is prior to streaming, um, we could go into a market, do a lot of radio, and we could see the direct impact of that on ourselves because the only way at that time a fan or a listener could acquire the music of somebody they liked was to go to the record store and buy the whole album, not just a single. Um, and so we could see that direct correlation between, okay, I went into a market. I did a ton of radio and, and you know, some press 
and that kind of thing too. And I and just, I want to make sure you can hear me because I feel like my signal is going in and out a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. You're breaking up just a little bit there. Okay. Um, I'm going to move to a different spot. We okay. could go into um, a station, into a market and do a lot of press and radio and we could see that direct impact, right? Via sales. Mm -hmm. With streaming, uh, what ended up happening is we could do a market, but we couldn't necessarily draw the line between what we've done at a market and the impact and uh, that it had on our fans and branding in that market via sales, because the sales were coming from so many different directions, especially with streaming. I can be in Nashville, Tennessee, and listen to a station online in Atlanta, Georgia, and then go stream that artist. Now, I heard mm -hmm. that artist from uh, Airplay that was in Atlanta, but there's no way to tell that what happened in that market really impacted me personally as a fan of, the, of that particular artist. Um, and then with COVID, you know, there was a lot of um, thought that, okay, listenership at radio is going to now go down because everyone's at home, we're sheltered in, or, you know, we're working from the house, so we're not in our cars. Um, and contrary to popular belief, Nielsen showed us that actually on-air listenership or listening, uh, uh, listening audience to radio went up instead of down. Um, I think that for artists, um, they're having a, a small time really navigating what is happening with radio um, and the impact that it's having on their music and their um, ministry on, on my side of the fence um, because of streaming. You know, they're not really sure what kind of impact everything, how you connect the dots. And so as a person like myself that works label side, that works branding and radio, it's really important for me then to sit down and communicate to an artist why it's important to go in, into a market and do radio, what impact it has. And hopefully they're still seeing that impact and correlation with airplay and books, booking dates, dates that they get booked for, you know, the demand to have them in a market to do concerts or to do tours and, and all of that correlates. So we've had to do kind of a re-education on this side of the fence with some of our artists, just with how the industry is shaping up and, and what role and impact streaming has on what we do. Yeah, it's interesting, Ebony, you know, I, I, I blame, you know, electronic measurement. In fact, I, I won't mention the program director, but um, a PD a few years ago of one of the, uh, it's about maybe four years ago, I was on a panel um, with him and he programs one of the biggest um, stations in any format in America. And, and he said, you know, if, if Nielsen went away today, half my problems would go away. And, and with PPM, uh, you know, we, and, and I'll give you a perfect example. I mean, we had a new music category uh, you know, that used to populate to, uh, you know, uh, find three or four of the biggest new songs and put them in. Well, after electronic measurement, that new category quickly went away. And, uh, you know, today, most uh, AC stations that play contemporary music, uh, you know, grab songs when it's either a power and or when it's going into recurrent from top 40 or, or urban, depending on your format. And, you know, for me, uh, you know, when and, and oftentimes because our, our jobs are so different, that of a person that deals with records and artists and a person that deals with uh, research content programming, 
Um, you know, I was always concerned because I said, God, man, every time I look at percentages of radio stations uh, leading on new music discovery diminishes every year. Um, how important is radio being a new music discovery vehicle for rec companies today? Uh, you know, that's a great question, Skip. I'm going to have to kind of side on you about, wow, we're seeing it diminish every year. It's so, um, we are not consumers. The way that people consume music is not just one-sided. We're not only getting our music in radio, but we're also discovering music online. We're mm -hmm. discovering music in commercials. We're, yeah. you know, the impact that music has really is extremely broad. However, you cannot take away the role that radio plays, um, especially in markets of color, like the African-American community and Latino communities that have very high listenership to tertiary radio. You cannot take away the importance of the repetition of a song and the discovery of new music there. What it should lead is for people to hear a song and say, hmm, what's the artist? They might mm -hmm. um, Shazam it or something and then go online and they discover a broader um, catalog from that artist. Um, but people are still discovering music via radio. A lot of people are still very loyal to radio. We just have to kind of move from this paradigm that the only way people are discovering music is this way. It's either on streaming or it's either radio. It's actually all of it. They're consuming all of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, a good point. And, and that brings me to, you know, another big question because one of the pet peeves, most of the record industry and, and just about everybody else, syndicators, you name it, people that are vendors uh, to the industry with, with these program directors and, and brand managers that, you know, are just swamped all day with, with, with at first in-person meetings and Zoom calls for the last 18 months. Uh, what are your challenges in dealing with these super multitasking uh, programming executives that are just bogged down with five and six jobs? You know, how do, how do you navigate and, 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 and get in touch with, with people in today's environment? Uh, that is a Great question. Um, <laughs> that has really definitely been a challenge, especially in COVID, because so many companies have downsized. So um, with that downsizing, people are taking on additional duties that they didn't have before. And so finding the time to carve out time to talk to us, to talk about music, um, to have conversations about promotions that we can do in the market, to create events around an artist that's coming into a market sometimes can be a challenge. Um, but I think that's where great relationships come into play mm -hmm. um, and consistency. Uh, you really have to stay in front of people and with an understanding that they have a lot of work on their, their plate. So how can I help you help the station help me? <laughs> that's how we're always looking yeah. at it. So if I can bring a promotion to you already kind of built in, hey, here's an idea I have, this is what I would like to do, this is how we could make it happen, what you think? You know, something that they don't have to do as much work for, it's kind of turnkey. They love those kinds of things. I think in COVID, we were really struggling with how to brand an artist that we can't necessarily get into the market because, you know, again, COVID. <laughs> so um, yeah. create 
creating virtual events, creating uh, events where people feel like they can touch and see and have interaction with the artist and that artist is tangible without the artist actually being in the market. That was the biggest challenge. And those were a brunt of the conversations that we were having over the past few months prior to the summer um, because we still had music. And with so many artists at home, you know, there became this opportunity to create more music because they weren't really on the road at that time. And so now we have this influx of music coming in. And, and as a label or a person who's doing what I'm doing, how do we get the music into the marketplace to make an impact? And then how can we partner with the station to help us get to that end goal, as well as to help the station, you know, because they're still looking mm -hmm. for ways to keep their listenership engaged and tuning in and not changing the, not surfing uh, the dial. And, you know, hey, let's, what can we do to create um, events and have ideas and things that are really gonna bring everyone to the table and let them walk away feeling like, hey, I've had a great experience with this artist and now I'm gonna go out and get his music and support his music. So that's been a big challenge. Um, again, downsizing, I can't, I was kind of hurt. My feelings were hurt. You know, some of my mm -hmm. colleagues that were let go. Um, yeah. And even to uh, Amy's point, just how nothing's permanent. You know, mm -hmm. we would never have thought that some of these people would be let go of. Um, and so now we are kind of struggling to um, rebridge and, and, you know, forge new relationships with people that we haven't spoken to in the past. And sometimes even educating them on who our artists are because not everybody that's sliding into that position or getting these new duties really understand the market or the genre or the artist and so that has been a daunting task but that's something that you know i guess just comes with the territory yeah no definitely and and you know ebony i credit you um there's a, a gospel artist today who has been kind of i'd say if there's an heir apparent to the great yolanda adams it probably would be her and you've been involved uh throughout her career and that's what is jacaylin carr about 22 23 years old now she's a pastor she is consistently number one on the gospel charts with everything that she releases and and I just wonder that, you know, I talked to a record executive a few weeks ago and he was bemoaning the fact that, you know, they're he just feels like they're getting too many artists off of TikTok. And, you know, to see someone with the talent and the vocals of a Jacqueline, you know, she's not one of those that's gonna be doing the slap your teacher challenge, which I think is the newest TikTok uh insanity or crate milk crate, you know. Um, you know, how will the next Justin Bieber uh, be found? Is it always going to be YouTube? Is it always? Is it now going to be TikTok? I mean, you know, the executive was saying he just missed, you know, the great pair of ears that the 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 relentless A and R person that runs yes. to the president and says you you have to hear this young lady, you have to hear this guy. Yes. And uh, are, are we losing the, are we losing the art of 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 developing artists to to TikTok? Is is TikTok the next? Uh, you know, the Motown people that develop artists. I mean, is that where we're going, you know? Well, you know, it's so funny you say that. I do think some of that was generational. Um, mm -hmm. uh, just with um, the microwave stardom that we saw happening for a while there. Um, I think in this latter day, I've had so many conversations around A&R and artist development. Um, yeah. And I think those conversations have come up because of that 
that very thing that people are really hungry for quality artists. I can't tell you, I have two teenagers and they are consistently listening to my music. One of their favorite <laughs> groups is New Edition wow. and Bobby Brown. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and, and I mean like the real New Edition and the real Bobby Brown, my prerogative. And, you know, even some of our television shows and when I talk to them about you know of course I'm so very proud because it is my my music but when I talk to them about that they just say you know it's so your music was so much better than that what we have or your tv mm. shows a different world was so much better than the shows that we have now I think there's really a hunger for quality and yeah. um not just a microwave get rich quick artist but an artist that really has talent that really has a look that's been um, that's really been vetted, and there has been time taken to nurture not only the gift of the vocal, but even the person who they are, who how they carry themselves. When we look at our megastars that we've had in the past, like Whitney Houston, we didn't know Whitney Houston had issues. Okay, yeah. that was never a thought. We thought she <laughs> no. was America's. Yes, darling. We did. Okay. Yes, we did. And Just so when we, I'm sorry. But when we found out, as a kite, when I, that's another hey, story. Well, that's another. <laughs> well, see, and that's the thing. But there was a good team around her that protected most of America from that. Yeah. We didn't know that. You know, even with the Beyonce today, there is a level of allure that she has on her that keeps. You know, the, the she's got the talent, she's got the look, she's got the innovation, she's always forward thinking and very progressive in what she presents. That doesn't come from TikTok. That really is talent. That really is a, someone that's being been AR'd and nurtured and guided throughout their career. And I think people are really, really hungry for that today. And I do believe we'll see more artists. Um, that are going to live a lot longer in our marketplace because they have been nurtured and they have a great team around them. And someone did stop and take out the time to really develop them as an artist before they even put them out. Wow. That's such a great point. And, you know, speaking of, of, I don't know how you do it all. You have two teenage daughters. I, I don't know how I would deal with one. I have a son that's about to be a teenager and that frightens me, but daughters, I would definitely have to double up on the shotguns. But um, let's talk about your audio platform, Glamazon Mom. Uh, you know, you, you, uh, you know, really have some, some funny anecdotes and stories about, you know, being a, a mom raising uh, young ladies. Tell me a little bit about it and, and your video conversations as well. Oh, wow. Well, that was Mommy Moments with the Glamour's on. So I went to the illustrious Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. Hey. I just wanted to throw that out there, H.U. Oh, Pirates. Yes. Um, and uh, I majored in broadcast journalism. So I've fortunately, I'm kind of probably one of the few people that are actually working semi in their field that they went yeah. to college for. Um, but I decided that I wanted to really put some of my keep my education to work pretty much. Um, and I started um, a 30 set or 60 second vignette called Mommy Moments with the Glamazon Mom. I really started it out of conversations that I was having about my kids from when they were preschool on in and just getting advice from other moms and, and grandmothers about, you know, things that were going on with the girls, especially as a single mom at that time, I was newly divorced. And so, you know, a lot of the advice I received 
was just so rich. And then I would get asked the same questions and I could share. And I'm like, you know, we need to have a, a more visible platform out there where we can talk about these things and, and share about raising kids and put a little comedy to it. Because I think there's nothing wrong with laughing at ourselves and sometimes laughing at our children um, as we're raising them, as well as really focusing on how we can raise healthy, um, non-selfish, non-entitled kids in such a climate that really breeds those kinds of uh, generations of people. I just wanted to say that. So that's how Mommy Moments at the Glamazon started. Um, I sent it out to a few of my radio folks to get their opinions. They loved it. We're going to put it on. And today I'm up to 70 stations that um, my vignettes are heard on. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. And it's growing. And I've got a podcast in the works that will be on blackpodcasting.com in 2022. So I'm really excited about that. Um, And then during COVID, you know, it was like it was such a heavy moment with the um, with people, you know, coming up um, infected with the with the disease and passing. And I wanted to just bring some comedy to it because I tell people all the time, I live a sitcom. I really have a sitcom in my house. And yeah, so, you- what, I really do. So I just said, let's just go on Facebook Live. And that, I mean, that's how it all started. And me and my kids get up on Facebook Live on um, I, Ebony Funderburk on my platform. And we'll just go live randomly. And I, I did not know that people were really watching, watching, watching. But I started getting asked about when, when's the next time my show is coming on. <laughs> so, oh, well, so I had to keep doing it. So we just come on and we talk about just random things that we, that mothers and daughters talk about. And it just happens to be really funny because my kids are quite hilarious. I'm very blessed to have great kids. So yeah. I've been happy to be able to entertain people during COVID. Now, one of the funniest stories, we were at that uh, I, I can't wait, you know, Gospel Music Workshop of America convention in Birmingham, and you guys were going to, I believe, the Civil Rights Museum, and, and um, your daughters invited me along, and I said, well, you know, we're going to let you and, and Mommy do some bonding, and they are like, nah, come on, we together all the damn time. <laughs> they were like, go, <laughs> they were just go, so real. Please. I was like, oh, geez. Like, come on, we, we see her all the time, every day. Please but, take uh, my mother. Please take her. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're, you're, you know, Ebony, you're, you're in the middle of a demo that every mainstream urban top 40 urban AC station dreams of reaching. And I do know you listen to a lot of radio. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what makes you think great radio and, and what do you think radio can do better? Um, I think great radio, and I'm going to say for my demographic, uh, I just want to say this. Uh, we've had so many great opportunities with um, the George Floyd, the marches, um, police brutality, so many things that have come up in conversation over this past year and a half that I think have been great moments for, for Black radio. And um, part of reason why I feel like our community, my community has tuned in so um, religiously is because we wanted to know what was happening even in our own community. One of the things that it showed me personally was the need for localized radio. I know there's a move, uh, move for radio to be more syndicated and day parts and that kinds of things, but sometimes we want to hear 
what's happening in our own backyard. We want to know that there are people that we can reach out and touch, that we can go to an event down the street and all of us are rallied together with the same cause. Um, and we have that connection. And I think Black radio brings us together in that way. Radio and the church is the cornerstone, the pillars of our community. And that's why I've always been an advocate for, yes, I love syndication because I am syndicated, but I do also like localized radio. And sometimes we just don't get enough of that. I think that's a, a place that is missed for my community in particular. Um, but what I do think, um, uh, especially R&B radio does, is is they have a, a, a good ear for picking music that really speaks to the time and um when those classic jams come on it's it's the moment that can take us from feeling really really bad to really really yeah. great and and that you cannot miss a great program station that knows how to balance you know some current music but also some some good old hits in the mix yeah. um, is it can really change a person's mood a day. It can make them feel good when they're depressed. And these are the moments that we really need that kind of radio. Um, and I do think it's a challenge for um, radio to really be thinking forward about health. Um, sure. I think that's going to become a, a very centric conversation as we're moving forward because so many people um, are dealing with mental health issues, depression, and all of that was really exacerbated in COVID. And so as we're moving hopefully out of COVID, I hope that radio does find their way to embrace and have more conversations around mental health. Wow. I, I could not agree more. And, you know, as we start to see less advertising coming in from the pandemic, I mean, we were boasting this year about all the money that came in from you know, first getting tested to vaccines. And we know next year as we do budgets now, we know a lot of that money will go away. And I agree, mental health and overall, uh, you know, health practices, both mental and physical are going to be something that, you know, may actually lead to advertising revenue. You know, final question, Ebony, uh, you know, I've been to your town a few times, Nashville, Tennessee. It's been an audio town for a long time home of the Grand Ole Opry, the Ryman Theater. Uh, you know, the gospel artists were featured at the Ryman even during segregation. Uh, WSM Radio, WLAC Radio, which was among the first stations in America to play blues, jazz, and, and early R&B during segregated years. Now today you have a very diverse city uh, where, you know, country music lives alongside R&B artists pop and hip-hop, more recording studios being built every day, uh, yeah. more record labels are relocating employees and actually hiring. I think TikTok just opened an office in Nashville. What has made your home city, okay, I know it's not technically your hometown, you're a DC girl, but, but what has made your <laughs> Right, let's put the DMV in there. <laughs> put DMV in there, but what has made your current home city of Nashville such a diverse music behemoth, you know, when you've got Atlanta just to the south of you and, you know, people think New York and L.A. normally when they think of the music industry. Right. And, and you know what, Nashville has always been the hub for country. Uh, when I first moved here in 98, you know, it was Warner Country. I mean, you could go down Music Row and see every country label there. But country really went through a renaissance after 1998. And I really have to credit them for really shining more light on Nashville. 
feel to say, listen, country music isn't just quote unquote country music, but it's a viable genre. Um, they make big bucks, very loyal fan base, um, and they know how to put on some great shows. Okay. Yeah, and so, yeah, <laughs> so they have done a great job um, uh, with really resurging um, country. Yeah, at one point, country music was the number one, number two selling genre um, in, yeah. in America for sure. Um, and now hip hop has taken over, but country is not that far away. And um, the money and the attraction to the city um, has really exploded. Not to mention, you know, beside uh, New York and LA, Nashville really is your third hub for recording studios. And yeah. you talked about the new, you know, they're definitely still building recording studios, but they've always been a big spot to come to record records. We have Ocean Way here. Whitney Houston has recorded an album at Ocean Way. I think it's been okay. kind of maybe one of those quiet spots that a lot of people didn't know famous people came to. But also yeah. something has happened in Nashville where they've done a lot of recruiting of big business, um, I know there's a lot of R&B artists, ironically, that have started moving here. Jill Scott lives here. Uh, wow. The Weirdo Workshop guys live here. There are a few <laughs> other R&B. Uh, uh, Michelle, um, uh, K. Michelle, I think, has moved here. It's wow. a great town. Um, there's a lot of stars, a lot of movie stars that live here. Mm -hmm. Um as well that you might not know. And we're really kind of like New York and L.A. You'll see them out on the street. I've seen some incredible stars. I've seen a whole bunch of people here. And wow. um, Carrie Underwood and all that. And I'm like, oh, my yeah. gosh, that's some bitch. We don't bother them. And yeah. so I think yeah. they feel really safe here. And uh, it's an attractive city now with all of the big businesses that have moved here. Factories, you talked about TikTok, just bought, put an a, a office here. Comes also yeah. a lot of transplants. A lot of people from California have moved into um, Nashville. It's a beautiful city. It has really boomed and built up. Now the cost of living is very high, uh, yeah, but it is no, a beautiful yeah. town. It's kind of like a mini Las Vegas downtown as well. They, it is the, um, the uh, bachelorette party hub now over Vegas. People come here wow. to do bachelorette parties. I just wanted to say oh, that's that. Crazy. But <laughs> they have done a great job with Nashville, really building it up and really trying to change this perception that Nashville is this, this hick town where country music artists may live. It is really a very progressive city. And I think the growth has been pretty steady um, and consistent over the years. It hasn't gotten too big, um, yeah. but it still has a a down home feel and I can't say more good things about Nashville. I love this city. It's great. I just wish COVID would be over so I can enjoy downtown a little more, but it's a great town. Wow. That's, that's great. Ebony, I thank you so much. Let the people know if they need like to contact you, connect with you, what's the best way, social or email or whatever. Yes. I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ebony with an I, Funderburk. And I think my name is, you can tap my picture and see my whole name. Um, and I do also believe um, that information is in my bio as well, as well as my email address. So if you want to reach out to me, ask me more questions, I would love to connect. All right, Ebony, thank you so much. Always appreciate your 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 uh, uh, just insight, your friendship, and, and just a super, super colleague. And uh, Lloyd, we're going to hand it back over to you. Ebony, if you can hang around a couple of minutes in case anybody has any questions, and that'll be it. 
Man, imagine Ebony going to show up on Innovation and Audio and she says those words. I think we could be a little more local on radio. Now, we just did a big research reveal with the folks from Futuri, and you can find this on our podcast, by the way, where they talked about that's what listeners are saying. We want more local. We want more local. And I always tell people radio gets its power from being local. Thank you, Skip and Ebony. Of course, you know, when you do show up here for our live events, we do... uh, like to ask you to like our group, the encouragers, and share with others who love innovation or audio. Don't forget to follow the people on the stage at this event. Look around the room. We're big believers in connection, in mentoring, in networking on the encouragers. Thank you for being here and participating in our live event and telling others. We are going to open up the room in case uh, some of you might have some questions for somebody on our panel. Of course, you just have to push the button at the bottom of the screen as the little hand looks like a notepad. I know it's supposed to be an iPhone or an Android, but but basically you just press that little button and it lets us know that you want to say something to somebody. We'll bring you up on the stage. We do ask that you mute your mic until we call on you. By the way, when you join the encouragers, uh, we have people who come and listen only. We're okay with that. Our goal is to provide you with interesting content, advice, career hacks to move your career forward and to encourage you, but we don't mind sharing the stage with you if you are so inclined. So we do like to at least extend the offer every Wednesday, but don't feel pressured to talk. This is a safe place for everyone. Don't forget that Monday you can join us at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the radio rally on Clubhouse. We do that every single Monday right here on The Encouragers. This Monday, October 11th, we're going to get a different perspective. Becky is going to be with her. Her last name is Domi. Men, and she is the senior VP and market manager for Odyssey and Greater St. Louis. She will be joined by Scott Harold, who's program director, morning show host of SOS Radio in Las Vegas, Nevada. Heather Froglier is going to be inducted into the, the Country Radio Hall of Fame in Nashville next week, so she will not be on with us. She's our regular co-host on Monday. We do want to congratulate Heather. We're so proud of her, and thankfully, Ashley Wilson from iHeart Country's uh, 97.5 WAMZ and 98.1 The Bull will be co-hosting that event on October 11th. Tell your friends in innovation, audio, and specifically radio that they can get free resources at RainmakerPathway.com in our free blog section. If you have a problem in your market and you need a 21st century solution for that problem, simply email me for a free and confidential consultation, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. I I do have a question actually uh, for Ebony. Uh, and, and this comes directly out of a special event that we did that you also could get in our podcast. Guy Zapolian was with us. He is d- definitely probably thought of as one of the musical geniuses in terms of determining music and the path of uh, Top 40 and adult contemporary Hot AC, for sure, the inventor of Hot AC. In our special musical event, he talked about how record companies are getting so much of their income from streaming so, Ebony, 
how in the world? I mean, we know how this works in the radio business. We've always known it, right? Because nobody pays attention to the programming. They're always talking to the salespeople. Why wouldn't the salespeople be your favorite? They're the ones that come in with checks. So why wouldn't it be the same way for record companies, right? They're getting so much money now from streaming. Yeah. Is that the real problem? Is that where their attention, I mean, how could their attention not go to streaming? Well, I mean, that's correct. I mean, it's all about catalog. And if you look at uh, the numbers on streaming, you'll find that over 50% of the music that is streamed is catalog. So it's all about mm. who owns these catalogs, who owns this money. And this is this is how labels, many of them, ironically, are staying alive during this time. The challenge for them is how do they create and, and this goes back to the artist development conversation, in my opinion, as well. How do they create artists that are so impactful that they can get those, that level of streaming money coming in? Because also you have to take into account that depending on genre, that's really going to tell you what the stream is going to be. If you're dealing with a hip hop genre, genre mm -hmm. or a pop genre, I'm gonna get that word out. Um, that's <laughs> almost that's almost eighty to ninety percent streamed like people aren't right. going to the stores and buying that off the shelf if you're dealing with jazz or classical or even a little bit of country you still have people that are going into stores and, and picking oh up it's moving records. faster it, we've seen it move faster than you think in country so it's all moving in that direction in that right. direction and everything is eventually going to be there um and and a lot of that also has to do I think around 98, 99, somewhere in there, we really saw the big conglomerate um, um, stores like a Walmart and a Target and a Best Buy mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. putting the smaller mom and pop record shops out of business because they couldn't compete with the prices. They couldn't compete with the supply. And so then once that demand kind of went to the big boxes, then you started seeing streaming come in. And so these guys are determining, well, we're going to pare down on the amount of product that we put in our stores as it relates to music, because we're not seeing enough people coming in and buying because they're streaming. That's right. So, That's right. you know, at some point you have to, I think the challenge for a record label really that um, that is looking to the future is how are they creating artists that has this that have staying power and that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing that's that's um, that is really entrenching themselves in that market and that people feel compelled to continue to support and you know when we talk about TikTok artists and stuff those are flat that's only going to last but so long and often those are one hit wonders or maybe one little record or EP that they're doing well, a few a few more singles out, and then it's over. Well, there's a reason that people love these artists who know how to write songs and they know how to how to make hit records, not just one, not a moment, yes. right? Yes, exactly. Well, thank you for being on this program for sure. And I have a question now for Amy, too. I want to know from your perspective, because you were in a part of our business that, you know, people don't want to think about it until they have to think about it, right? What is maybe the biggest misconception that people have about getting back into the workforce after you've been downsized? Hmm, that's a really good question. So 
Um, I think that they, one of the thing, the misconceptions is that maybe you can go back and recreate the situation that you had before, that you can get into the same type of business, that you can get into the same type of situation, the same type of remuneration um, mm -hmm. as you once had. And I would like, you know, I advise people to look at, you know, we, we talked so much about change um, right. when we were talking, but I would say, you know, this is a life change, right? That's right. <laughs> we have That's to right. be kind of open um, to what the possibilities are. And we have to accept that we that it's going to be different and that we might have to accept things that, you know, we shouldn't compromise ourselves in any way, but that we might have to maybe we'll get a better salary, but we might not be able to get as good a salary because and that and that some roles are actually disappearing. So we may have to skill up and retrain um, to get back into the workforce. Life changes, right? All right. So, Tony, uh, you've got a question for somebody on our panel. Uh, yeah, it's really just a, a level of appreciation and applause for tonight's show um, for Amy and Ebony joining uh, your show tonight and sharing so much valuable information and insight on different levels. And I just wanted to drop in and say that and say thank you to both of them for, for coming in because I really learned a lot tonight and, um, and I appreciate their appearances here. Man, you are so kind. I love when we have something like that happen. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that very much. Sure. And you're doing well, a great job, Lloyd. So thank you for this. Thank and you very much. Thank you very much. And of course, we do try to keep things to about an hour. Our thanks to Amy and to Ebony for being patient and giving guests. Of course, a, a very special thank you to Joe Kelly. We, we couldn't do this without him. He produces the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please do that. You can do that anywhere you get podcasts. And of course, uh, it'll be available this particular episode, the next hour or so. Uh, thanks also to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and uh, making sure that that gets where it's supposed to get as well. We really appreciate that. Please do share our podcast. We have two, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast and the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast. Both are available anywhere you get your podcast. Please do remember this. Be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of Innovation and Audio with the Encouragers. And good night.